Hey, good morning. Hope you're all having a great start to your week and a, a great Monday morning. Uh, I want to get started into today, um, and I want to continue talking about oneness and our interconnectedness because uh, there's just so much to understand uh, surrounding this topic. You know, it, it's it's like we started a few weeks ago. Sometimes we don't fully have the the picture developed in that moment for that one teaching, and over time it it gets pulled out and we learn more and more and we get to uncover and have more and more revealed to us. And so I just want to keep going into that because oneness is never a topic where we are um, never a topic we're going to get away from. Uh, it's, it's just part of our existence as a new creation, right? Uh, so last week uh, we talked about um, where your union starts uh, with the father, son, Holy spirit, and how your personal relationship with Jesus should be self-evident uh, wherever you go because uh, of what you bring to the table and you're spilling out uh, to those around you, right? So this week, uh, we're going to dive into Romans 15, uh, just the first seven verses. Uh, I'm going to read those to you and then uh, just want to talk through a few things. So we'll go ahead and jump into it. It says, now those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognized for they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them and to bring them into spiritual maturity. For not even the most powerful one of all, the anointed one, lived to please himself. His life fulfilled the scripture that says, all the insults of those who insulted you fall upon me. Whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us in how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. Now may God, the source of great endurance and comfort, grace you with unity among yourselves, which flows from your relationship with Jesus, the anointed one. Then with unanimous rush of passion, you will with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will bring God glory when you accept and welcome one another as partners, just as the anointed one has fully accepted you and received you as his partner. I switch over here. So, hey, good morning, Angie. Forgot to switch back over to be able to see some comments. So that's the, the first seven uh, verses of Romans 15. And <clears throat> Paul talks starts off with saying those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognized. Um, Brian Simmons has in the notes of the Passion Translation that mature can be uh, translated in the Aramaic as powerful, which is pretty cool, right? As, as a mature uh, person in your faith, you are powerful. And so uh, looking at the rest of, of what Paul's laying out here uh, for maturity you know, he's, he's talking about being other centered here um, because we know maturity can be, you know, physical, uh, uh, mental, uh, emotional, spiritual. There's different uh, areas you could talk about maturity, but right here, he's talking about people who don't live for themselves, right? This is, uh, he didn't seem to care much uh, in this, in this particular topic about how much knowledge you had or how old you were, um, where you were from, nationality, race, gender, none of those things mattered right here. What he's talking about is moving from a self-centered attitude into an other-centered attitude, right? 
uh, he cared that you left self-centeredness behind and embraced and lived in a visible and recognizable manner of being others centered. So even in those uh, that you're you're working with and are still operating out of an immaturity, you know, you you want to still remain other centered even with them, right? Because they're they're not they're not considering you if they're still operating immaturity and self centeredness, right? So meaning that even if they are self centered, you're not reciprocating that because the kingdom does not reciprocate self-centered behavior. It just doesn't do that, right? That's not the kingdom, right? Because we follow the culture of the kingdom. What the kingdom says in that case is we go low, right? The dominion of the king of kings says we go low. We stoop down to lift people up, right? The kingdom is centered on others. And so knowing that, uh, I'm taken care of first by Jesus, uh, but then I'm surrounded by um, by others who are also thinking of me, right? So um, if you're thinking about what am I what am I getting from the kingdom, and only that you're missing out uh, on some wonderful assignments uh, our Father has for you, and and where He's going to bless you. Right. So our goal in being centered on others, uh, uh, the goal of of going low and that stooping down must be to empower others uh, to do what is right and good for them. Right. He says them right there. And I and when I read that, I was like, whoa, uh, right and good for them. Uh, that kind of that kind of hit weird uh, when I first read it. And I was like, you know what? That's that's interesting. And it's something that made me kind of stop and question it. And, you know, so Paul said it. So don't blame me. But the, at the same time, I agree with him. You know, your freedom in Christ is not going to fully look like mine. The freedom you carry being in union with Christ uh, carries many similarities possibly to the next person, but it's not a carbon copy. Right. Your calling. Your calling isn't the same uh, as the next person. You know, and, and you're going to listen to this and and take something out of it um, and, and somebody else is going to listen to it, take something different. And, you know, your assignment and the application of your gifts, uh, they're still not going to look the same. Right. Um, when you bring what it is you carry into oneness of the bride, those those gifts don't look the same. They're not going to function and and come out creatively the same exact way each time. And so Paul goes on in, in Romans 15, and he kind of is laying out some steps for maturity, right? So first one is there's the recognizable uh, maturity in people in the form of being centered on others, uh, not simply looking to please themselves, right? Uh, second, uh, is you're empowering them to do what is right and good for themselves. And, and again, that sounds somewhat self-centered, but it's not because you need to understand freedom uh, so you can go uh, out and live the abundant life, the full tilt life, you know, that uh, life and life more abundantly, John 10, 10. But you have to understand your freedom. People need to know uh, what their, uh, what I call the left and right limits are. You need to know how far they can go before asking permission. That's that's a much broader area that we want to, um, we want to acknowledge. We would rather be 
uh, hemmed in in a very small area. So uh, we think we're we're living right and we're doing the right things and living up to somebody else's standard that they've created, which isn't necessarily from God and is likely uh, limiting the freedom you have in the abundant life that Jesus talked about. So you need to understand your freedom. And third uh, is to bring them into spiritual maturity. And so um, he went from talking about uh, mature in faith, being centered on uh, others and not self-centered to then now he's uh, saying to bring them into spiritual maturity. Uh, so here we need to understand spiritual maturity uh, and what does spiritual maturity mean, right? And this can go in different extremes, right? This definition uh, this is a definition that can lead uh, lead you quickly into a religious system uh, that lays out a bunch of rules to follow and probably a bunch of things that you need to memorize as well. Right? And the problem we find uh, is that a system like this, a system of religion, is always about appearances. Right? It it does nothing to support your union with Jesus uh, or the oneness uh, we share. Right? That system. It, it isolates and becomes uh, about status and look at me and all of my achievements. You know, uh, we absolutely must be looking at spiritual maturity through a kingdom lens. Now, I'll throw out a disclaimer here. Uh, what I'm about to say comes from my time with Holy Spirit in uh, asking what spiritual maturity looks like. And, and a lot of the um, conversations I've had with people, it, it comes from that. So, uh, you have to you have to take this to him, right, and weigh it out with him. And you should be doing that with everything you read and hear, right? It, it deepens your relationship with him and strengthens what you bring to the table. All right. So the first part of it that I, I'm seeing is I'm looking at maturity through the recognition, understanding, belief, uh, belief of, and uh, self evident lifestyle of union with Jesus, because that's where it starts. It starts with us being wrapped up in him. And that just believe, excuse me, that just means that you believe uh, in the, the, uh, the cocoa life, you know, that, that co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, uh, and now permanently co-seated uh, with Jesus in heavenly places, right? You believe uh, that you're in Christ, uh, that Jesus is in the Father, and you're all mingled up in oneness with the Trinity. Right? So, and furthermore, spiritual maturity uh, uh, believes there's no separation between you and the Father. Right? You can't be separated from Jesus who is indwelling you. Right? You can't separate yourself from yourself. Right? Additionally, spiritual maturity, mature people um, see others as new creation. Right? You have to be able to see them as God sees them, regardless of uh, the dirt that may be visible in the natural. The focus has to be on new creation. Yeah, commingled. I threw that in there. I knew you'd like that one. Uh, finally, uh, you're allowing uh, the rivers of living water to spill out of you. Uh, you're feasting on Jesus and releasing uh, what you carry um, onto those around you. Right. This again, it's from my perspective, uh, but that forms a, a base for spiritual maturity. 
know, that kind of place to jump off of. And for some, they're going to be content to stop there. They're going to be content to say, well, I've got my bases covered. Hey, that's a solid C I'm in. Great. Uh, you know, um, but I'd encourage you to go deeper into revelation uh, and wisdom of the mysteries wrapped up uh, in your inclusion in the kingdom. Right? There's there's way more to uncover there, way more revelation. It's so much fun to to dig those things out and uncover them. Right. And make no mistake, though, there's no point um, you can arrive at where your spiritual maturity is going to be complete. Right? I'm not convinced that we can ever unravel all there is to know, uh, even with an eternity to look forward to. Right. So. Um, all right. So that, that's kind of where I come from when I'm defining spiritual maturity. And so looking it up uh, in the Bible, I couldn't find. Uh, a specific definition of spiritual maturity in the Bible. Uh, but, you know, online I did find a lot of different interpretations and in mostly surrounding uh, marks of love, uh, growing in knowledge, having discernment, uh, spiritual integrity, doing good works, uh, glory, glorifying God, a lot of stuff like that, which are, are not bad things. Um, but I was left with the question of where's oneness, Right. Uh, how can I make a claim to any degree of pos possessing spiritual maturity uh, if I have no concept of of the union or oneness uh, that I that I'm starting from, right? That that starting place of in Christ, right? So that's kind of where I went back to a lot of of where I'm pulling that definition from in in discussions with Holy Spirit is where's oneness. It's got to start there. That's got to be the basis where we're jumping out of. So in verse three, Jesus didn't look. Paul talks about Jesus didn't look to please himself, although um, he could have as the king of kings, you know, uh, as the creator. He very could very well could have. Right. Uh, but he didn't. He chose to live uh, as you. He chose to be insulted as you. Uh, to die as you, uh, so he could be raised as you and see you become a new creation. This this part in uh, last part of verse three, it says, "All the insults of those who insulted you fall upon me." That's from Psalm sixty nine nine, uh, and it it says that my love for you, my love for you has my heart on fire. My passion for your house consumes me. Nothing will turn me away even though I endure all the insults of those who insult you. In the, the footnotes that Brian Simmons has, he says, uh, Psalm 69 is considered uh, one of the most outstanding uh, messianic psalms with obvious prophetic references to the sufferings of the and the cross of Jesus, right? So it's obvious what he's done. You can see through that, what he did on your behalf, right? Look at where he is in the low points of your life, right? What's he doing, right? How is he stooping down to meet you in those times, right? You can see that he was there uh, living as you, taking the insults. Uh, nothing was going to stop him from 
completing his mission and nothing is stopping him from being there with you now. Nothing is stopping oneness. You can't separate yourself from yourself. He is a part of you. But I love that. Absolutely love that. You can see what he's done in your behalf when you go back and you look at your life and find him in all those points where he is right there meeting you where you're at. All right. Going on into verse four. Uh, Paul says, we have the scriptures to impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. So what Paul doesn't say uh, right here is that you're supposed to endure all things alone. right? He says, we have the scriptures to impart encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. You don't have to endure all things while simply just clinging to your Bible. Otherwise, what's what's the point of oneness? What's the point of your union? Right? All things are done through oneness. The Trinity didn't separate themselves in creation. Trinity didn't separate themselves when Jesus came to earth. All things are done through that union. So you have the scriptures to impart encouragement and inspiration so that you can live in hope and endure all things, but you don't do it alone. Right? We have each other. We share in oneness together. Right? We're in union uh, for each other's benefit. Right? Paul even says in verse 5, God our Father, uh, the one with whom we share union, right? He is the one we share union. So uh God is the source of great endurance and comfort, right? Not a source, but the source, right? Not just for endurance, but for great endurance, right? Paul uh, also says right after that, uh, that the Father is also the source of comfort, right? So why is comfort mentioned? I think it's because when you have need to tap into a source of great endurance, uh, it's probably going to be nice to be comforted after that because you're, you must be going through something difficult. If you need great endurance, if you need to rely on that source of great endurance, you're probably going to need some comfort. So that's probably why that's mentioned there is because not only is he your source of great endurance, he's also your source of great comfort. So Paul continues in verse five, asking that uh, God may grace us with unity among ourselves. Right? And again, I'm asking, why would Paul put that on the backside of a reminder of our source uh, for great endurance and comfort? Right? Paul's talking about uh, people with mature faith being other centered and bringing those that aren't into maturity those that are still self-centered, right? So maybe that's because self-centered people that are being brought into maturity uh, of being other-centered are messy, right? You're going to need great endurance. You're going to need comfort, right? Paul is asking that God would grace us 
with unity among ourselves. Self-centeredness, it, it, it creates a mess. It creates messy issues. And that's just a simple fact, right? We are in unity uh, with one another. And again, it comes down to oneness. We share oneness with Jesus, each of us individually, and that makes us all connected. Each of us are connected, which is how we can be considered his bride, right? His pure, perfect, spotless bride. And you can see Paul is laying out oneness in this, right? His pure, <clears throat> excuse me, we have oneness uh, and, and unity with each other because of our union with Jesus. And that's, that is the bride. All right, where was I here? Okay, going into verse six. He says, then with the unanimous rush of passion, you will with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one voice, we get to set pettiness aside, throw out the nonsense that divides us and act uh, on a unanimous rush of passion to glorify God, uh, our Father, the, the one in Jesus and also in you. Right. In throwing out division and burning pettiness, uh, you'll bring glory to God as we walk in oneness. It's pretty incredible stuff, right? And, and then <clears throat> in verse 7, he says, You will bring glory when you accept and welcome one another as partners, just as the anointed one has fully accepted you and received you as his partner. Excuse me. When the world looks at us, what do you think they see as the church, as his bride right now, when I look out, out at, at the church at large, uh, and, and I think about what the world sees when they look at us, um, I have to consider that perhaps what they see, uh, scares them because it probably too closely resembles the trauma that they come from, right? With the rate at which uh, families are are torn apart. Uh, there are many that uh, carry the hurt and painful brokenness of a family split. Right then, uh, what do they see modeled by the church? It's the same fractured uh, relationship, separated by a, a chasm of petty beliefs that have no room for the true gospel. And it's no wonder uh, no one wants to be involved with the church. Right? It's it's no wonder that everybody is kind of pushing away, and particularly the younger generation is pushing away from uh, from the church, from the body of Christ. The broken model people have in their families, uh, it seems to be replicated in our inability to partner with one another exactly what Paul's talking about in here. That broken model uh, in family is mirrored in our unwillingness to accept and welcome one another. Right? We would rather conform others into our image and disciple them to replicate us in order to fill our need uh, for glory when Christ 
already crowned us with glory. Right? We, we have to accept and welcome people uh, right where they are and then disciple them to Jesus. Right? We must lift Jesus high, go up higher ourselves, call others up higher. Right? If you're living anything less than kingship as in sonship, then you're missing out. Right? You need to fix the mindset that you have that says that that's not who I am. You need to change that mindset because it's not, it's not really who you are. You are nothing less than a king. And uh, forgot where I was going there. Uh, lift Jesus high, go up higher ourselves, right? And then, you know, we, we stoop down to bring people up higher themselves because we are looking at new creations. And if they aren't living out of that, we're pulling them up higher into that. We're not calling them out for the sake of calling them out. We're calling them higher, right? Any, anything less than that, uh, looking down on people um, and just because they're not living as new creations, that's disgusting, right? And any glory you gain through disgusting efforts here on earth is fleeting. Right. But the glory of uh, well done, thy good and faithful servant, it's, you know, that's eternal. Right. As long as there are our people with free will and brains, uh, you know, we're going to have differences of opinion. Right. We're going to see things differently. But what we can't do is reject each other based off petty beliefs that really have no impact from the kingdom, not, not to the kingdom, but from that, right? Because we live from the kingdom to earth, right? I mean, we had a great conversation with uh, the youth, the youth group last night, and it was uh, around the question of what do you believe about God? And so there are some, some beliefs that see him in a certain way that isn't in goodness. And we got to have a discussion around that. And it was incredible and absolutely life-bringing. But no, there was no pettiness. There was no division. There was just a conversation in love. And that is what we're talking about. We're welcoming people in. We're, we're representing union well. We, we don't worry about differences of opinion when we can say that um, we're living in love. We're, we're welcoming people in, right? We're not... We're not rejecting people, right? We have to accept and welcome each other as partners, just as Jesus did. Right? We have to stand on the gospel that one died for all, and now we share union with him. We're all connected in oneness because of that. Right? And as I was preparing um, for this, I realized that... Um, 
I have a dream that, uh, that everyone, all believers would just believe who it is God says they are. Really listen and hear that. Believe that our indwelling Father has something for you, that he calls you something. He's given you a calling, and he'll give you assignments along the way. Uh, dream that you would believe who it is that he says you are, and that we would have our actions then line up with that, that the way we live is in line with who he calls us. He calls you sons and daughters. He calls you kings, the royal priesthood. And then there's something more specific that he gives you that you carry to the body. That you would believe that and live that out. And furthermore, that we would uh, see people for who they are as new creations. Right? Refusing to focus on the dirt and calling each other into higher uh, um into a higher place by uh, by holding each other accountable uh, to who it is that God says you are. This is, it's actually easier than we think when we remember oneness. Right? That's, that's uh, it's not, um, it's not a huge dream for my life specifically, but for a, a huge dream for the collective body to come into unity in oneness. Have discussions. You know, have differences of opinion. Again, as long as there's people with free will and brains, that's going to happen. But we still welcome each other. We still partner with one another. We don't allow those things to, to get in the way. Because that, that just creates division. That just separates us from the oneness that we share. Yeah, I know it's it's your huge dream, Angie. It just dawned on me last week, though, how passionate I am about that same thing. Because it's hard to watch what's going on in the world and see the division just creeping into the church. Allowing the systems of religion and the systems of politics to, to be pulled in and... Uh, fracture oneness, fracture our union. So this week, ask Holy Spirit to show you a new facet of what it is that you bring to the table. Ask him to show you what it is that you bring to, to the table and turn it around and show you a new piece of that. Right? Start to uncover more. And then ask, what does it look like to put that into action? Right? There's always more to learn about what you bring too. All right. I, I hope you were able to get something out of that. Have a great week and uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye.